0: If you would turn to Matthew's Gospel and chapter 5. We are studying, and we have these past weeks, the Sermon on the Mount, a sermon that was preached 2,000 years ago. It is a sermon that isn't just great information about character, but it is a sermon that was preached to a group of people who were facing challenges in their own season, in their own time. These, these words are, are for us today as, the, as much as they were 2,000 years ago. The, the men, the women, the children, that listened to this sermon 2,000 years ago were living in a time of Roman oppression. They were living in a time in in Israel where agriculture was the main stay for for economy and there was much poverty at this time. The medicine of that day was not nearly what we would have today and people, as you can see earlier in chapter chapter 4, there were many who were afflicted. And, and so 2,000 years ago it may seem for us it is a long time, but these words have, have power and meaning to us today. So read with me, and we're going to again read through the Beatitudes that we are studying. Beginning in verse 1, seeing the crowds, Matthew writes, he went up on the mountain In heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. No doubt there were many who gathered to listen to the Sermon on the Mount but Matthew lets us know that it was Jesus's disciples who were the focus of his sermon. They are the ones who had responded to his preaching in 417 where it's Matthew writes, from that time on, Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And these, these people, these disciples had repented and, and now in his kingdom, they must learn how to live in that kingdom starting with the Beatitudes. And, and that's what is so helpful for us today because even though this sermon was preached 2,000 years ago, the the season that these folks were in, what they had to endure under Roman oppression and what they had to endure under the kinds of sicknesses they faced and just the the world they lived in, it is the same for us. These, These words teach us as disciples how we are to live in God's kingdom, as a part of God's kingdom in our world today. What God requires of us, what God in a sense demands of us, and so now they must learn how to live as disciples, starting with the Beatitudes. That's what Jesus begin, begins with. And these Beatitudes, they serve as an introduction to the Sermon on the Mount that summarizes the principles of, of kingdom life, life that is blessed by God. It is, it is no mistake. Jesus clearly wants us to know, wants these disciples to know that, that living life in the kingdom of God is about blessing. We are are blessed, first and foremost, because we are in the kingdom of God. That God, in his mercy and in his kindness, extended saving grace to us. And that we are now a part of that kingdom. As we go through the other Beatitudes, we will see what that continues to mean, being called sons of God, being able to see God. These, these are part and parcel with being a part of the kingdom of God. And so these Beatitudes serve as an introduction. They summarize principles of kingdom life, that life that's blessed by God, and they introduce to us the Christ-like characteristics of kingdom life. And I say Christ-like characteristics, the one, the one who exemplified these character qualities most of all. He was made... He himself was made poor, as we we read in 2 Corinthians 8. Jesus made himself poor. He mourned over Jerusalem, we read in Luke 19. He was meek, as we read in Matthew 11. He fulfilled all righteousness, as we read in Matthew 3. He was merciful, as we read in Matthew 4. He was pure in heart, as we read in Matthew 26. He was a peacemaker, as we read in Mark 5. And he was persecuted for his righteousness, as we read in Matthew 27. All of these beatitudes. Attitudes, exemplify who Christ is and what Christ has done and how we are to live as well. We're made in the image of God. And he is restoring that image. He's restoring that image as we read in these, these beatitudes. He's not calling us to fulfill some burdensome, ethical demands that we can never meet, but rather he wants us to see, brothers and sisters, the blessings that are ours in Christ as we live for him. They're, they're not imperatives. There's only one imperatives, imperative mentioned in these beatitudes, and that is rejoice and be glad when you are persecuted. That's that's the only imperative. These are not imperatives or required standards that we must perform in order to earn God's approval, but rather it's a description of the kind of life that is blessed by God. Now understand blessing because that's, that's the heart of the Beatitudes. Blessing and its biblical opposite, cursing, being cursed, are words intimately related to God's covenant with his people. It's about covenant. It's about God's promise that he will have a people and a promise that he will redeem those people. He promised that those who were faithful to him, and we can go all the way back to Deuteronomy to read this, to those who were faithful to him, they would experience his blessing, but but those who turned from him, they would experience his cursing and his judgment. God's, God's blessing upon his people means Ultimately this, fellowship with God, a relationship with God, that we are called God's children, as John writes in his epistles. How great a love the Father has for his children, that they should be called children of God, and such we are. Now in Matthew 5, 6, this is what we'll be studying this afternoon, Jesus says this, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. What is this righteousness that Jesus is speaking of? First, he's he's talking about a a righteousness of those who have repented of their sins and have received Christ's righteousness, what theologians call imputed righteousness. Now, imputed righteousness is, simply means it's the reality that no one is good enough to stand before God in his or her own righteousness. We need Christ's righteousness. By having the righteousness of Christ imputed or attributed to us, or or we are clothed in his righteousness, God sees us as sinless, because he sees Christ's righteousness, not ours. Now, we are still sinners, but the grace of God declares that we now have a righteous standing before God, and that righteousness Jesus is primarily speaking of is is an imputed righteousness for those who've come to faith, but now he's talking about here another righteousness as well, a righteousness that's a part of that imputed righteousness, and we'll call it implanted righteousness, righteousness. A righteousness that is worked in us, that's wrought in us by the Holy Spirit for those who have become believers in Christ. That God is at work in us. It's, it's Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It is the, the Spirit of God working in us that, that implanted righteousness. And critical to understanding how we can live out these beatitudes is recognizing that the Beatitudes are not something that we self-produce in our lives, that we are able to just make ourselves meek or make ourselves righteous. No, no, it's a work of God's Spirit. They are products of a, a life energized by the Spirit of God, empowered by the Spirit of God. There they are really the list that Paul gives in Galatians five, uh, twenty-two, where he talks about the fruit of the Spirit. There, these beatitudes are expressions of the Spirit produced producing kingdom life in us, which is a great blessing to us. Now, there were many others listening to the Sermon on the Mount, who were not believers, they were on the fringe, they had just watched Jesus heal, just hundreds if not thousands of people and they were they were intrigued by him they were attracted to him and so when when jesus is giving the sermon on the mount there there were others gathered around kind of on the fringe whether it would would have been pharisees or would have just been those who were curiosity seekers and they they needed to hear this as well they were not believers they were not able to hunger and thirst for the kind of righteousness that a believer desires. And that's what, that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, he says, those who, who are are mine, those who belong in the kingdom, they are blessed. They are blessed when they hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be satisfied. They will be filled. And those who, who weren't believers could not do that. But, but here in 5.6, it's primarily about this implanted righteousness, this righteousness that that Christ is working in us through the Spirit. It's about a believing heart that desires to be conformed to God's will. It's a heart that wants to live for Christ. It's a heart that wants to be like Christ. It's a heart, a heart that wants to follow after Christ. And, and we, we, will, we see this... We see this idea of righteousness throughout Jesus' sermon in the Sermon on the Mount. In 5:10, he talks about being persecuted for righteousness. He talks about in 5:20, that we must have a righteousness that exceeds the Pharisees. In 6:1 he talks about being careful about not showing our righteousness so we can get approval of others. And in 6:33, above all, he says, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness." And so this idea of righteousness is critical to the life of a believer. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for this righteousness, a divine happiness that comes from living in God's kingdom and living out kingdom life. But this kind of righteousness, brothers and sisters, for us, it's actually impossible to do Without the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, without the empowering work of the Holy Spirit, trying to do do it in our own ability to try and do it in our in, in our strength to try and make myself meek, um, I will fail again and again, and and it can become a a life of frustration if we try to fulfill these beatitudes apart from God working in us and our submission to our meekness towards God and the working of His Spirit in our lives. Martin Luther felt this. Martin Luther was coming to to recognize that, that he could not be righteous. He he hated the idea of God's righteousness because he knew he could never attain it. That, that God demanded righteousness from Luther, it just incensed him. How could God do this? I can, I can never be holy. I can never be perfect is what Luther said. And he struggled, he struggled with all his might to obey these commandments to the point of where he would literally beat himself black and blue to try and merit God's favor. He wanted to attain righteousness that he knew God demanded. And as he struggled with this concept, in in God's mercy, the Holy Spirit revealed to him the way of righteousness, the way that God demanded righteousness was going to be only attained through the saving work of Christ and in the sanctifying work of Christ, which is what Jesus is talking about here. And so when, when... when Luther recognized it was a work of God and not his own, his own work, he describes, he describes this revelation as a gateway to paradise. And, and I think that is what the Lord wants us to see here as we see, as we, he reveals to us that, that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that this righteousness, this imparted, implanted righteousness in us isn't a work that we perform, but it's a work of Christ in us. And it becomes a gateway to paradise because it's it's the very thing that could help temper legalism and moralism and trying to merit God's favor through our own efforts. Jesus doesn't say here, blessed are those who make themselves righteous. He just says, blessed are those who hunger. For righteousness, who thirst after righteousness. So in Christ, Luther realized he could be a righteous man, and so can we. So two points quickly this afternoon. The first one is: a genuine disciple longs for Christ's righteousness. That's the point of this passage right here. Hunger, hunger and thirst are, are human needs. They're they're fun, but they're also fundamental to for spiritual needs. Righteousness is required for a spiritual life, just as food and water are, are necessary to a physical life. To, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, it does. It has many faces. It means to, to long for a relationship with God and to, be, to d- desire righteousness before God, but it also means to live rightly in the world and to to desire to see righteousness extended in the world I mean we we see the political upheaval we see the the we see racism we we see people who are treated differently because of disabilities we we see we see the poor related to differently there's there's a desire for righteousness and that's a that's a healthy and that's a good desire and we desire to see those who don't know Christ to come to Christ. We desire to see righteousness in, in their lives. That's a good righteousness. Here, we, we are looking to see a, a righteousness in our lives that, that extends to all those different facets of righteousness. Those who would experience the righteousness of God in Christ because they've come to faith in Christ. Those who would experience the righteousness of those in Christ who, who treat those who are less disabled, poor, different race, different ethnicity, that they are treated kindly and equally. That That is what we hope for. Thomas Watson said this. He said, It is the very temper and constitution of a gracious soul to thirst after God. It is a heart that cries, I long to see God in his word. I long to hear God in his word. I long to speak to God in prayer. I long to meet God and His people. I long to be like Christ in my life to others. That's hungering and thirsting for righteousness. It is, it is a it is just like a hunger and a thirst we have for our physical needs, for food. It is, many, many years ago, but there was, a, there was a group of us that we decided that w- there was this important th- event coming up at, in the church, and we wanted to pray for it, but fast as well, and so we decided that we were going to do a seven-day fast, and so I did a seven-day fast. No no food for seven days. Water was allowed, but no food for seven days, and for those seven days, the the, the first couple of days were, were the most difficult as far as feeling hungry but towards towards the end I remember this longing I had and it was the craziest longing but about day six I had this insatiable longing for a McDonald's hamburger that's all I wanted and that's pretty much all I thought about for an entire day I don't think my fasting and praying at that moment was doing much good because the only thing in my mind was when i I would see mcdonald 's everywhere. it would seem like mcdonald 's were planted on every corner of the area that I lived in it was and that was my longing and, and that kind of longing where you 're just consumed that that literally is the kind of longing Jesus is speaking about here. What consumes you? Are you consumed with with a hunger and a thirst for for God's righteousness, for being conformed to the image of Christ, being conformed to God's will, a desire to be near God, a longing to see God in his word, a longing to hear God in his word, a longing to speak to God in prayer, a longing to meet God in the people that you are joyfully connected to in this church, a longing to be like Christ in your life. That's the kind of, of longing that Jesus is speaking about here, and he's not using hyperbole. He's not, he's not overstating how we should seek after righteousness. We, we must, as he says in, in Matthew six thirty three, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, he says, and he's speaking earlier in, in Matthew 6 about just being anxious for nothing about food and drink and clothing and and he said even the, the sparrows, God God takes care of the sparrows. Will He not take care of you? And so then He goes in, seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. And so He's speaking of an intense longing after righteousness that is like physical hunger. And thirst. Psalm forty-two describes this and illustrates it so well. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. This this righteousness, brothers and sisters, is not about occasional acts of, of doing good things, of doing right things, but a passionate concern for pursuing life, the kind of life that God demands of his disciples through, through the grace he supplies. And grace he does supply. He's, he's not suggesting that, that we make a, a strong effort to achieve our own righteousness because that can never happen. But he wants us to receive the working of his spirit and his righteousness that our lives can can demonstrate what it means to be a follower of Christ. Listen, we we didn't come to God on our own merits. Do you remember in Isaiah 55? Isaiah is prophesying, and he prophesies, and the Lord is saying, "This come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat." It's 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 a it's a reality check of, wait a minute, you, you can't buy salvation. You can't merit salvation. It is, it is an act of grace. It is a gift of God's grace. And so is this righteousness that we are to hunger and thirst for. And it's, to, it's to bring a freedom to us. Not a, not a striving of earning something from God, but a freedom to say, okay, I, it, it's, it's about hunger and it's about thirsting. The, the invitation of the gospel was free, and so is this righteousness that, that Jesus is talking about. When, a, when you have a guest over for dinner, at least I, I don't, maybe some of you do, but when you have a guest for dinner, all you ask them is to come hungry, right? You don't, you don't ask them to, to pay for their meal, right? You don't ask them to rake the yard to earn their meal you don't ask them to. Just, no no it is it's just a gift to them and that is that is how it is with the lord that's how he treats us and phys- listen, physical hunger it can't be satisfied with anything but food and the same is true for for christ's righteousness it we can't be we won't be satisfied with anything but the righteousness the righteousness of god that is what is to satisfy us. It, it's, it's Jesus we need and nothing else. It's Christ alone. Give me Christ or I shall die is, that, is what is being stated here. Let me have Christ's righteousness to clothe me and to feed me and to transform me that I, I might taste his, his goodness. Remember when we studied 1 Peter Peter is is writing, and he says, like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk. And he's quoting Psalm 34, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the saint who takes refuge in him. And so there is this longing. That's a disciple longs for God's righteousness. But also, secondly, a genuine disciple will be filled with Christ righteousness. That, that's the promise Jesus makes here. He promises that if we long for his righteousness, we'll be satisfied. We'll, we'll be satisfied. For, for my birthday, Marilyn recently made me, it's called a Hershey pie. And you, you take basically an entire container of Cool Whip and a massive Hershey bar, and you melt it together and then you put it in a chocolate crust and you put it in the freezer and it's the best oh it is it is it is literally the best and and it it is it is filling every bite is worth the next one um I get it once a year that's it and, and so I, I, I long for it as my birthday is coming. And, and it is, that's, that's the idea that Christ, that Jesus is trying to encourage his disciples, to encourage us to say, look, this is the kind of longing. You, you know what life in the kingdom tastes like. You know how good it is. And there's, there's this amazing blessing when you draw near to it, when you hunger and thirst for it, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to be satisfied you're going to be filled. And it's going to be a taste and a feeling that exceeds every other thing you've ever enjoyed. Because it's Christ. It's Him. It's, it's Him we are with. When, when He talks about righteousness here, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, He's talking about Himself. He is the righteous one. See, it's not talking about a concept. It's talking about a person. It's talking about those who know him. We have become the righteousness of God in Christ. We've become him in a sense. We we are not seen for who we are. We're seen for his righteousness. That he, he bestows upon us. He shares with us. Because of his willingness to die for our sin. And so here a genuine disciple will be filled. This, the righteousness that will satisfy us is, is something that God eagerly wants to fill us with, to, to give us. He, he's not going to disappoint anyone who desires to do his will, anyone who desires this and hungers after this righteousness. Those who long for this righteousness are going to receive it in full measure. It's not going to be table scraps. It's going to be the fullness of Christ's righteousness. And and I understand, because we all struggle with sin in different ways. There are many believers, I think, that that grieve that they cannot be more holy. I just, I'm just, I just, I I never can attain the holiness that I desire. And they feel like they can't serve God because of that. Jesus says, listen, blessed are they that hunger he is saying, You may not have as much righteousness as you desire, but you are blessed simply because you hunger for it. And I will satisfy you, he says. You, you might think, you know, that my hunger after righteousness is so weak. How could that possibly be true? Because uh, there's just times where I don't even think about God. My day is so busy, or things are going on. And, and, and do I really hunger and thirst? Listen, if you have a pulse, you're still alive. There's still there's still life in you and even a weak pulse. A weak desire to to hunger after God's righteousness is pleasing to God. He he is eager to do that. Our desire for hungering after his righteousness means something to him. Even even though we are weak in desire and weak in appetite. That's a sign of grace, the fact that we even have an appetite. Here's the paradox. Here's, the, here's what can be perplexing. We will be satisfied. And yet, in this life, we still hunger. Jesus, Jesus promised in John 6.35 that, that it, those who hunger and thirst after him will never hunger and thirst again when they know him. But he was speaking of a future kingdom. He was speaking of, of what is to come. So there is this reality in which we will be fully satisfied in this life and yet still hunger and long for this righteousness because the reality is we live in a, in a fallen world and we still battle daily the presence of remaining sin. And so part of this hungering and thirsting is just a, a desire to 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 be clothed in Christ's righteousness, that we would not be struggling as much with sin as we once did when we first came to Christ, that there's a, there's a growth. And that is the working of the Spirit in us. That is he who began a good work and you will bring it to completion. He's bringing us along the path. And so blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, righteousness for they shall be satisfied. God is eager to satisfy you. Just even a hint of hunger. Listen, not until we reach heaven will we hunger no more or thirst no more. In our lives, in my life, there are many things that compete to satisfy my or your appetites. We all have appetites for a lot of different things. What we do truly hunger for, the, the things that we desire, um, that they'll determine how we live. What we hunger for will determine how we live. It will determine if our character is kingdom character, or as we see in the Beatitudes, or if it becomes worldly character that seeks first itself rather than the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And a hunger for righteousness will grow simply by seeking God in his word. That's, that's your application. That is the simplicity of God's word, the simplicity of application. I have, Job said this, I have not departed from the commandment of his lips. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. That's, that's what leads us To continue to grow in our hunger and thirst for righteousness, we treasure God's word. Hunger, listen, hunger less after the world and more after righteousness is what really is being stated here in Matthew 5, 6. And we have to be careful that we don't lessen our appetite with snacks. All growing up, my mom would say, you know, don't ruin your appetite because I'm a growing boy and I'm making my way through the kitchen. And if I can't eat what mom's making, I'm going to find something in the cabinet to eat, or I'm going to find something in the cupboard to eat. I'm going to find something to eat because I'm hungry. I'm longing for it. And, and it would, it it did. There were times it did lessen my appetite because I had filled up with snacks but not the food that was supposed to be there for me. And in the same way, we have have these temptations, we have these appetites for many things, but right here, Job is simply saying, listen, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. Let us hunger and thirst after Christ. Two things will make you hungry. Two things will make you hungry. The first is exercise. Physical hunger. It, you exercise, you'll get, it will help you become, it will, you'll be physically hungry. Well, the way we exercise spiritually is we read God's word. That, that's going to make us, that's going to make us hungry. Another way we, another thing that will make us hungry is affliction. Go through affliction. And hopefully that will make you hunger after God's word, that you would find hope. And refuge and solace and strength and faith in God's word. Brothers and sisters, this, this one beatitude right here, um, I think all the others really do hinge on it. Because this, this is the one beatitude that points to Christ, that points to him. That points to, to us knowing Him. As Paul said in Philippians, I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection. I want to know Christ. And that is us hungering and thirsting for righteousness. Father, we do ask that you would help us to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That our souls would be eagerly drawn to knowing you, and that in our eagerness to know you, you in your eagerness will fill us up to satisfaction with what is good, which is your Son, Jesus Christ. Oh, may, may we do that for Father, and may you do that for us that we would live lives that reflect your kingdom and your glory. In Christ's name, amen.